Welcome to Obey Your Strengths with Gallup Certified Strengths Coach, Kathy Kirsten. Our guest today is Mark Rennick. He's currently the Director of Hardware Engineering at Facebook. I met Mark when he was Chief Operating Officer at Rackspace, in which we worked several years together, right, Mark? That's several. right. And uh, I've enjoyed watching his career as he has built success upon being an authentic leader with excellence in execution. And so today, I'm going to ask him a lot of questions about authentic leadership and excellence in execution. Thank you so much for being here, Mark. Thank you for having me. You do have a long list. Can you just tell me some of the places you've worked? Yes, I can. How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Just maybe from the beginning of your technology career. Well, I started my career in the early days of the PC industry at Compact Computer. Back then, we built PCs at a metal barn off of Perry Road. During that time, uh, my two kids were born, my daughter Taylor and my son Marshall. Taylor had a disability called Prader-Willi Syndrome. Mm -hmm. And at that time, the world's leading Prader-Willi Syndrome clinic was at the University of Washington in Seattle. So we actually loaded up the truck Mm -hmm. and moved to Seattle um, for her so she could get the best care possible. And I started working at Microsoft back in 1994, the early days of Microsoft. How early? Like how many employees did they have? Oh, gosh, at that time, probably four or 5,000. Small. Wow. It was small. Mm -hmm. And then from there, uh, I went to Intuit, the software Mm -hmm. manufacturer of TurboTax and QuickBooks. Mm, Yes. From there, I spent a couple years at XM Satellite Radio in Washington, D.C., responsible for all of operations, including, you know, satellite operations, so that was fun. From there, I went to eBay, and I was uh, a chief procurement officer and ran uh, operational excellence programs there. Lots of people don't know that eBay back then was a conglomerate of about 70 different companies, so bringing all those cultures together was a lot of fun. During that time, unfortunately, my daughter Taylor passed away, mm. and we, my wife and I made the decision that we move back to Texas um, to continue the healing process, and I took a job as COO at Rackspace, which was a lot of fun. It was a very small company back when I started, and then when I left, uh, it was sold to Apollo Global, and uh, I was going to retire, mm-hmm. and then um, um, one of the founding members of Open Compute Foundation, which Facebook is a founding member as well, and so Facebook asked me if I'd come work for Facebook. And I said, well, no, I think I'm really going to retire. But they were very persistent. I'm really glad I made the decision because I work with a really, really bunch of smart young folks and it keeps me energized. So how long have you been at Facebook now? About uh, almost two years, going on two wow. years. Wow, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that insight. You have been, tr- you've worked at all the transformational IT places that are changing the world. Well, I didn't really think of it that way. It was a job. <laughs> But looking back That's on what it, I see. yeah, it's you know I look at patterns. <laughs> it's challenging, and those companies were small when I worked for them, right? Mm. So it's really challenging to scale yeah. a company and keep the culture and still execute really, really, really well. Well, I think that's what you're known for, and that's what we're going to talk about on this podcast. So before we go there, what are your top five strengths? They are achiever, responsibility, arranger, relator, and individualization. Hmm. Tell me a little bit about how each one manifests itself in you. Well, there's always it always manifests itself in good ways and bad ways. Mm-hmm. The good news, I think, about learning the strengths-based training concepts early earlier in my career was I, be, I became aware of them much earlier. So I know when I'm starting to, to, to move from a strength to a weakness. Um, 
So from an, uh, let's just go down the list if yeah. we can. Yeah, so let's do it. From an achiever perspective, uh, I think that goes back to the early days. I was uh, always played sports in high school, right? Mm-hmm. So very, very competitive, although competitive is not in my top five, but it is in my top 10. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, not having as much talent as others, but making it up with uh, wor- you know, work ethic right. and persistence, I think is uh, made me the achiever I am today. You know, the negative thing is my team laughs at me. Every team I've had always laughs at me. I carry around a binder, and I have a to-do list. Uh, And I guess it's – at first I thought it was, you know, just a normal thing to do, but I've realized over the years that, you know, having a list of things to do and checking them off and feeling good about checking them off is actually um, kind of a geeky thing to do. Uh, But I do organize my day today uh, based on impact. So even though I have a long list of things on my on my list, I always uh, stay focused on the the most impactful things that I can do in a given day, because I do believe we get right. We get we get paid for impact. Um, So even though I never finish my list, I do try to organize it by impact. That's something I've learned from you through the years is how to understand what's just busy work versus impact work. Not that things on your to-do list are busy work, <laughs> Mark, but there is a dividing line there, right? That some actions matter more than others. Okay. So what about responsibility? Responsibility has probably been my biggest curse. Oh, okay. Okay. And I don't know where this came from, but it's, uh, it's probably the single most important reason why I've been, I think, very blessed in my career, right? So uh, I, I believe in a high say-do ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, I always teach my team to be thoughtful about the commitments we make because if we make a commitment, we're going to keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, we do say no to some things, okay. right? Um, and I think that's when, when you're high in responsibility, that is difficult to say no to people, but I've gotten better at it as I've gotten older and more experienced. Mm-hmm. And again, it comes, I think it comes back to impact. So the commitments I make are basically based on impact, uh, quite frankly. Um, the way it manifests itself in a, in a negative way is uh, it's hard to turn off. It's hard to turn down, right? So I'm not one to, if there's something that needs to be done, I'm not one to really watch television. I don't really read a book very often. If there's something to do, I typically will be out doing it. You favor accomplishment <clears throat> and impact. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Okay, okay. Yes, and my family well, and, and my closer. colleagues will tell you that. <laughs> but it's one of the reasons, again, that I think I've been blessed in my career. If so, they gave something to our team, they knew it would get done. Yeah. And in, in business and certainly in engineering, uh, now that I've been in leadership positions, I know how um, how much of a relief it is to have a team that can execute well very, very consistently. A lot of people can execute well six out of seven days a week. Very few can do it seven out of seven. And I think our teams pride themselves on being able to, to be very um, mm-hmm. consistently disciplined uh, on a uh, long-term basis. Mm. Yeah, we're gonna need to talk about, we're gonna need to unpack that in a minute. <laughs> because that's something that you bring to a team, which I think is absolutely fascinating, is that you at a strategic level can bring that to a team and transform a work unit to do that so all right that was achiever responsibility let's talk about arranger well that goes right into what you just talked about 
Mm-hmm. I do believe on um, my individualization, which we're going to talk about in a yes, minute. It helps uh-huh. me spend a lot of time individually with people because I want to understand what makes them tick, what their goals and objectives are. Uh, and I don't just mean at work. I mean collectively. And you know, when we build enough trust, people will share their hopes and, and dreams with you. Um, and that arranger helps me put people, just like a sports team, just like a coach, helps me put people in positions where they're going to be the most successful. And uh, that's one of the biggest values of the strengths-based training and, and understanding uh, strengths is uh, being able to there's, – there's a great deal of satisfaction by pe- put it, seeing people succeed in the role that you've put them in. Many times the roles that they wouldn't have normally signed up for Mm-hmm. Right, but the arranger in me, depending upon, it's almost just like sports. Depending upon who the opponent is, the coach decides who needs to play and what position they need to play. I do that exact same thing. I used to have a team of engineers. Hmm. You know, you are. You're saying hmm a no, lot. Like I this is a like, therapy well, I, session because I can see. I know. I know enough about your career. The last. Well, when did you join Rackspace? What year was that? It was 2009. Okay, so 10 I've known you for 10 years then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can see clear examples of what you're talking about. That's why I invited you to be on the podcast. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, in that do you also see potential in people where they haven't yet discovered a talent in themselves just because you have experience with working with so many engineers? All the time. And isn't it ironic? I'm sitting across from you. <laughs> when oh, we really? knew you would be very, very successful. Oh. As oh, you specialized you. in thank this, you. we knew you were going to be very thank successful. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. That's actually the most, quite frankly, uh, seeing people succeed is why I still do this. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you, just last week I got a call from somebody who just got promoted to VP. I love those calls. Yeah, it's the best. For someone with individualization, right? Mm-hmm. The best. I agree. I have it. It's my number sixth strength or seventh strength. Yes, I love it. Okay, well, let's talk about your work. Now, um, I said in the beginning, authentic leadership. So, Mark, do you, well, I can see why. I mean, I'm looking at your achiever responsibility strength. I can see why throughout your career, you've been the guy who could be counted on, who could be dependable at whatever role you take. How have you grown that into a strategic leader uh, behavior that has helped other people build great amounts of trust with you. Um, what guiding principles maybe do you bring that help people say, yeah, Mark is an authentic guy? I think you're being very kind. That's something that I don't notice that I bring. Uh, but now that you say that, I have led a lot of diverse teams in a, across a lot of different disciplines. And the teams are what bring that success. And I think it goes back to um, when I go in to lead a new organization, the first thing I do is I ask the team to create guiding principles. Like, how do you want to be led? What do you want out of your leader? Mm-hmm. So it's a very different, every, every job I've ever taken on the management track has been, right, what do we want to accomplish? What uh, values do you want to see in your leader? And what do you want this organization to stand for? And that typically, what the teams typically come back with is a set of behaviors. It's not what they want to accomplish, but it's more how they want to accomplish it. And so uh, organizations, since I became, the first time I became a manager, I was a supervisor of four people. I just use that same approach and it's worked all the way up the, all the way up the ladder to the C-suite. And I just, I don't think there's any magic in it. I just think connecting with people 
and creating a safe environment is important. And what I found is those guiding principles create that safe environment because it's a pact among the team on this is how we're going to get things done and this is how we're going to be behave. And these are the commitments we're going to make to each other and also to our stakeholders. So it ends up being very powerful, but the most important thing, I believe, is it creates a safe environment. So, for instance, if we said um, honest feedback is really one of our guiding principles, well, that means that it's our responsibility the responsibility to give and receive feedback. And so when that's one of your guiding principles, guess what? There's no more stigma around providing feedback. It's now an expectation. And it's amazing when we actually start to talk to one another and start to deal with conflict. That's the difference between a, a good team and a great team and a high-performing team is what one wants tries to do is create a family in a work environment, mm-hmm. right? So I grew up with all sisters, so that mm-hmm. explains a little bit about me. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, right? that's good. But that, that environment is really, really important. And people, when people know that the feedback that you're giving them is because you care about mm-hmm. them, it drives a different, um, different set of performance on an ongoing basis. Because if people don't care about each other, they actually don't give feedback and they avoid the conflict. Because they're not invested in the other person's success. That's right. When we're when we care, we're <clears throat> invested in their success. There's a lot of responsibility related relator going on there. That's so. What are some tactical ways that you do that gathering process at the beginning when you join a team? Because I mean, what you just told us about your career is that you've moved up, up and around mm-hmm. the technology industry and many of you know household names, and you've led teams mostly in engineering and foundation, which I think are unique because of the people who embody those roles. I mean, how would you describe engineers? I describe them as super smart, a little bit analytical so that they're a little bit black and white, not really people oriented in most cases. That's right. Right. And you are people oriented. So how, what are some tactics that you use when you're, you're building a team that help gather what you're talking about, the guiding principles, the values, the expectations well, again, I don't. My playbook remains the same, with the exception of the outcome of that playbook's different every time. Okay, so what's in the playbook? Like maybe one of the plays okay. in the playbook. Okay. The playbook is uh, typically I will go into a new uh, organization and and won't start the assessment process, but I will meet with everybody in the organization one on one. What do you mean by assessment process? Uh, most leaders, when they go into a new job. Right there's an expectation, and they also feel a requirement to do an assessment of the organization. What's the current state of things? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually avoid that, and which is hard with your superiors to say. You know what? Let me tell you what to expect in the first ninety days. There's not going to be a whole lot going on for the first sixty days because I need to get to know the team. Yeah. Right. And most people, but we brought you in here to fix some things, right? Mm-hmm. Great. But with all due respect, do you want a short-term fix or would you like this fixed that this is just the way things get done, whether Mark's here mm-hmm. or Kathy's here mm-hmm. or not, right? And I think the latter is what people um, truly want, but everyone likes to see the short-term results. And so every job that I've been asked to do, uh, I, if they want a one hit, I tell them, if you want a one-hit wonder, I am not your guy. Yeah. Okay. Because they're just, I believe there's, I say believe, not think. That's an important term there. I believe that there's a right and a wrong way, mm. right, to, to lead and manage an organization. And if you don't get to know the people first, then uh, how could you possibly lead an organization? So before the assessment, so that's great. That's the assessment process. You said you, you meet with everyone? I meet with everybody one on one. 
how, 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 how do you feel when you're in an organization and the leader of the organization doesn't spend any time with you? It means I don't matter. Right. But it's also important for that arranger thing in me that I need to understand people's backgrounds, not just their resumes, because the resume will tell you what they did from a work experience perspective. It doesn't tell you about their personal journey, right? Like I told you mm -hmm. um, earlier in this podcast about my daughter, Taylor. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, I, would know, I wouldn't have told anybody that, but it's a huge part of my journey. It's mm -hmm. a huge part of my success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think getting to know people is it's just, it's just it's the right thing to do. Now, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of commitment. But um, just think how you feel when the leader of the organization spends time with you, whether the organization's four people or 400, it's important to meet with everybody. Absolutely. I know that, I mean, I've never been a strategic leader, but when a strategic leader has met with me and built a connection, that was the beginning of trust, right? So whether I met with them again, ever again, it didn't really matter. I at least had that, hu that first connection where they knew my name, they knew a little bit about the work that I did that led to the alignment of the organization. I can totally see why that matters, Mark, that's right. totally. So, but that is time consuming. When you're new, in your current job, when you onboarded, how many folks were? Well, it was a small organization. That's one of the reasons that this job interested me. <laughs> it was uh, about 85 engineers. And you met with each of them individually? Of course. Why are you questioning course, me on this? Of course, of course, because <laughs> not all people do this, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Not all people do this. That's really cool. So I love that. So you have a playbook at every onboarding. The playbook is the same. The outcome is different. Yes. It's always different because each different. group is different and unique and you play to their strengths. Okay. So you're known for excellence in execution. I think there's a huge part of execution that means holding people accountable. Am I right? Yes. Is that a key part it's of execution? It's probably the most important part. Okay. Yes. So I've seen you enter into a culture where accountability, well, I think actually maybe all work cultures struggle with the accountability side, right? Am I right true. in saying that? Very true. Yeah. Okay. So accountability is kind of a tough thing to drive because you can be perceived as, as you know, a person who is command and control or uses weapons and not so to speak. I mean, you know, metaphor weapons <laughs> to, to, hold people accountable, but you do it in a way that is trusting and that people feel like we are being um, held to our highest quality of work. How do you do that from the strategic leader level? How do you hold your, how do you build a culture of accountability? Well, the key word there is build because it just doesn't happen overnight, right? Okay. Building, you have to have trust. Uh, people have to want to be accountable, right? So there mm -hmm. has to be uh some intrinsic or extrinsic benefit to them. Okay. Uh, and then it's important that we raise the bar. And the way that we do that successfully is by making sure we're focusing on our stakeholders, which in, externally would be customers, internally would be the, the people that we serve. And so there's an order to which we drive accountability because every day everyone has a lot of things to do. And I think it's important that we focus on right, three to five things that the team needs to accomplish. And when you simplify it like that and everybody can be laser focused on what we're going to execute to, and as a leader, you go set expectations with the other stakeholders that you're not going to be able to serve as well as you might want to. Um, you know, it's kind of the tyranny of the urgent versus what's important and keep, keeping people focused on what's important. Uh, I think the other thing that's really important, whether it's a team or an individual that's doing a particular project, 
uh, it's important that the, the first thing they do in the new organization is successful. Mm-hmm. And so the projects that we pick or the products that we pick to bring to market uh, in, a, in a new organization or when I'm a new leader in a, an existing organization, it's important to pick things that we're going to be successful at. Okay, I don't mean manipulate the process. These are still important projects, but um, they may not be the biggest, brightest, shiniest thing that we're going to solve for. And I think it's important. Part of that trust is that the team seeing, feeling comfortable in the position you're asking them to play and feeling comfortable in the tasks that they have ahead of them. The other thing that tip or trick that we do is we break things into small chunks, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. when we're successful in small chunks and you do something – uh, significant, right? Like create the Xbox at Microsoft, right? Or launch a satellite with XM satellite radio, right? Or develop the next machine learning infrastructure at Facebook. Um, these are big things, right? And, and they're it, shiny things. They're shiny things. So you sometimes have to be the bad guy who says the tyranny of the urgent, like getting the market first on this needs to slow down so that we can execute flawlessly. Would you say so? That's correct. That's correct. That's a struggle, huh? <laughs> Tell me, is it? Well, I think that's one of the roles of a leader to make sure that they are supporting their team and providing right air cover where necessary or resources or removing a barrier. And again, once people see you acting, not talking about it, but acting in that manner uh, and your actions are aligned with your words, then it's just been a, a natural outcome as people get behind it and you have that foundation of trust. And then you get to be known as a high-performing organization, meaning that whatever they say they're going to do, they do. And they start to feel some of that success. And I think a lot of us have anxiety at work, right? But when you know you've got a team behind you, that's different than being like out on the high dive by yourself, right? And right. When, you, when you do things, significant things happen in small teams, right? So I don't, I don't allow individualist uh Individuals don't really thrive in our organizations because everything is a team effort typically done in small teams, uh, broken into small chunks of a roadmap that end up delivering something that really is could be you know life-changing, world-changing, mm-hmm. tech-changing, and that's exciting uh, to watch. And all, all that I feel like we do is prefer, give them the tools and the opportunity to do their best work. Tell me about having to tell stakeholders no. Well, that's the hardest thing, and that's actually probably the number one responsibility of a leader, right? Um, Those are not easy things to do. I've been with leaders that have thrown a chair across a conference room, right, during some of these conversations. But generally speaking, nine times out of ten, nine and a half times out of ten, when you come with data and you explain why you're not going to meet their particular immediate need, but when you are going to get to it, it is important to set expectations about when you are going to get to it. Because, again, that say-do ratio needs to be high. Mm. So even though you're going to deprioritize them, when you, the commitment that you did make to them, we need to hit that as well. And so I think it's setting expectations, typically leading with data. I've never been... Uh, with a group of leaders or a set of leaders uh, or my boss or the C-suite where if you if you came with data that was reasonable, uh, that the, you couldn't get them to see it right from the perspective of your team. And then again, once they see us, one success and then success after success, then all of a sudden uh, you're not in their office. You're, you spend no time with those people, which is interesting, mm-hmm. right? Because it just runs, mm-hmm. right? And that's what I hope 
my legacy at the places that I've been at as it continues to run. I hope Rackspace is running just as it is the day I left it. And same thing with Facebook when I'm done here. Mm -hmm. Full delegation. We trust Mark and his organization. We know he's going to get it done. When you think about teams who are smart and healthy, and you've got smart teams. I mean, you've got really smart teams. You've You've, you've met them. You've met all of them. (laughs) You have some smart teams. I know that you've led some very, very smart people. What are some things that you do uh, that come from the relator individualization side of you that help the team not just be connected to you as the strategic leader, but you create opportunities and a culture for them to connect to each other? Well, the more time we spend together uh, on relationship things, the better off we are. And as engineers, we don't we don't think like that. Mm-hmm. And let me be clear, uh, I'm not quite sure why I'm in this job. I am not a degreed engineer. I'm an engineer by training. I've been a tr- uh, an engineer most of my life. But it was because I just spent a lot of hours doing it. It's not because I have a degree. My degree is actually in business management. And mm. so it's interesting uh, in, in some tech environments, if you don't have the paper, the pedigree, you don't get the you don't get the role, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think probably when I started this role, some people were on the side of that going, I don't, I just don't get why Mark, Mark would be in that job. <laughs> and I think now, 18 months later, I think they're figuring it out. But at some point, they will outgrow my technical capabilities as well. And I've, I will have taught them everything that we could have taught them. And it'll be time to go do something else. And they will continue to thrive and grow. And that's the type of environment that we that we want to create because it's hard to get good, ta- great talent, and we've got great talent. And so the environment matters. People can choose where they want to work, oh, right? And we want yeah. them to choose our organization because not just because we're great engineers, right, but because we care about each other. Um, we do great things in the open technology communities, right? We do a lot of giving back to the community. There's more to life than, than just work. Yeah, I mean, you have worked at places where when people have those names on their resume, it's a life changer for them. You know, people want to hire engineers who have worked at Microsoft, eBay, Rackspace, mm-hmm. Facebook. I mean, that is a that's a destination workplace. All of the you've worked at all the desti- not all of them, but a lot of the destination workplaces where that changes lives, and they can go get any job they want after that. I mean, well, maybe not every any job, but really, I mean, having those names. So you really have to build a culture that will engage them to keep that talent there and working for you and focused on your projects. That's right, because everybody's mm-hmm. willing to pay a little bit more, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so separate from compensation, you want them to think really hard about leaving this, I call it a family, the work family, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where they've gotten the support, their growth, Largely is a is a or certainly partly they're responsible for it individually, but a great part of it is because of the success of the team. But again, I I get great satisfaction when somebody calls me and says, "Hey, I just moved to the next level. I'm so excited about this." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that's really a neat idea that I think stems just from your strength of relator individualization, arranger responsibility. I mean, I can see how they all seamlessly pull together, Mark. I really can, and I think it's unique that you are the partner for engineers. I mean, on your, all of your teams, you are with people who are degreed engineers on your leadership team, right? Most with PhDs, yes. Oh, with PhDs, <laughs> even more so. Yes, like true blue geeks. <laughs> you know, I have a fascination with geeks because they're so different from me. And I'm a, I'm a strengths geek. I call myself the strengths geek when I'm with geeks, engineer geeks, because 
their analytical is fascinating to me. Their strengths are fascinating to me for one thing, but their analytical, their thinking in black and white, thinking in data, seeing patterns where data exists and it's just something that's so foreign to me. And then I bring in, and you know, I bring it in a, in a way that's like, woo, <laughs> lots of woo and maximize your strengths. Like this is how we can decipher people's talents. And then they think that I am, woo, a, a strengths whisperer, right? A geek whisperer. And I'm like, well, you're my fascinating, you know, mm-hmm. people that I'll work with. It's just, it's been a, a fun journey working with engineers. It's one of my favorite groups of people to work with. I can see why you're attracted to them. They're very smart. Very smart. Matter of fact, can I tell you a story? So, uh, with one of the teams that I was working with in your in your uh, groups through the years, have been, one time we were taking a break at a strengths workshop, <laughs> and normally at break time, people are talking about what they're going to do after they get out of training with the HR girl, right? Like, let's go have beers or pizza, <laughs> or like, did you catch the game? Or we're going to go to the game or whatnot. And these super smarties were talking about what gases exist on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, like, we have nothing in common, <laughs> me and you people, because I don't even know. How would you know what gases? Ex- they were almost in an argument about which gases exist on Mars. And I remember thinking, like, I can't even, I want, my woo wants to join in on this conversation. I have nothing to add. <laughs> that is so funny. Yes. Brilliant. Last week, it was the black image of the black hole. I had to refocus everybody on getting back to work. <laughs> A total distraction from work. (laughs) The image of the black hole. But but may I, let's talk about some of the sessions we've had, right? You know my, you know our engineers, you you know our team, right? Yes. And um, they challenge in a, Mm -hmm. uh, what's the right word? Very persistent, but well-meaning, well-intended way. Right. And I've seen them. I need to compliment your facilitation skills. Let me put in a plug for you there because they They're doing tough. that class with the, this team is was extremely challenging and i know it can put you back on your heels occasionally <laughs> well there's a lot of firsts right so i've been doing this for 12 years mark and i'll let you know that i normally i present data and people sort of just consume it and we move right on to the they next just assume slide. it's right, right they assume that what i'm and even if i cite the source and i say here's the white paper you can go read it yourself um, after working with your people, I will get white papers in my inbox after the training. Of the well, they debunks. went and looked at the white paper you referred yes. to during break <laughs> yeah. instead of going they to get coffee. During, yes, the mm-hmm. session. Like, is she like, let's fact check this. That's this, right. This data doesn't seem like it's correct or, ooh, this is more. Mm-hmm. And then they go really deep into it. But more than all, more than anything, I felt very, um, res- like, res- they're very respectful. They're very endearing to me, and they're very kind. And so all that wins me over whenever they check my data. <laughs> <laughs> when they don't just trust me. Just trust me and gallop. This is what we're saying. Yes. So, yeah, it's, it's difficult. And that has to be, I bet, do they challenge you? All the time. And that's what we want. That's how we get, right, the next set of innovation, innovative um, tools and devices for, right, tech. It, that's it. It's a back and forth, spirited discussions. Well, why do you think that, right? Arguing about data points. Uh, and they do it in a way that is just fascinating to me. And to, the way they do it today is very different than the way they did it um, when I started. Matter of fact, they really didn't talk to one another a whole lot when mm-hmm. I first started. It mm-hmm. was um, uh, it was a lo- lonely being their leader. I felt like I was working in a museum, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so now they, they mix it up with the best of them and 
it's gone beyond the four boundaries of our organization and we mix it up with stakeholders like okay why do you think that well how many options should we provide you it's just a very they've done a great job of transforming a very innovative hardware engineering organization um, to one that's known uh, for execution for creating uh, optionality for their stakeholders and uh, i think also for driving you know, innovation in areas where no one thought possible, right, just 10 years ago. Well, you're leveraging their strengths. I mean, I can point to that. And I could say you realize that your work group leads with relator, learner, restorative, achiever. You know, you ideation, like analytical, there's all, you know what your strength, your work group's strengths are and you're leveraging them. So it's not, and, and by that I see you, and you've done this for years, like 10 years of knowing you, that you have, uh, knowing that we that engineers have relator in their top strengths, you drive, you make them get out of their desks and go do trust <laughs> trust falls. No, I'm just kidding. You don't really do trust falls, do you? but you do we zip do a lines. Lot of ropes training, you do yeah. ropes course trainings. Mm-hmm. You uh, have barbecues. You get out of the office and get away from your workstations and do non work related activities together to invest in relationships, which they may not do if they're not. Highly encouraged to do forced. forced. I was going to say forced. (laughs) It is required, right? Required attendance at those. Well, nothing's mandatory, but certainly the first were more sparsely attended than the latter. Engineering can be fun, believe it or not. It can be (laughs) fun. That sounds like it should be on a sweatshirt. (laughs) Engineering can be fun. Matter of fact, wait, there's a really fun thing on your sweatshirts right now. Your your sweatshirt says, uh, fix... What's the... You were wearing it last time I saw you. Fix more, wine less. Yes! (laughs) <laughs> restorative strength <laughs> that's a quote fix more wine less and that team came up with that that's their saying that's right? a, really mm-hmm. that's awesome yeah that's not a marketing tagline that's that's something they came up with I, I don't do anything to be clear i love how you act like you don't do anything <laughs> well this is a person who and in, in this season some one of my other guests has talked about being in your swim lane with your strengths and pushing to the full to the throttle, you know, full throttle in your strengths. And you are in jobs, Mark, that you get to continue just doing what you do. This feels natural to you. And that's when we know we're in the strength zone. Building. That's what it feels like then. I guess I'm in the flow. Yeah, you're in the flow. But it's not like I do a whole lot. (laughs) You do. Whatever. You're a busy man. Mm. Uh, Let's talk about when you were telling me about your career and and the places you've worked, you talked about making a very, what I would call values-driven decision to move your family to get the best care for your daughter um tell me about what giving back means to you and where you spend a lot a large majority of your time and probably other resources you have uh, to invest in things that really matter to you well you know taylor's probably probably almost solely responsible for my success as a manager because um the way that I lead tends to be have high expectations, but it tends to be fairly compassionate, right? People have stuff going on outside their work life, and it's important to understand that. Not mind their business, but understand the challenges that they're having because those things do come to work, right? Um, and so... Uh, Can I just ask you, what mm-hmm. were you like before you had Taylor? Uh, very planned. Uh, the Achiever was certainly still there, but it was, I'd plan things three to five years out, right? Um, not necessarily uh, aspirational things from a career perspective, but things that I wanted to accomplish while I was on the planet. And most of those things were, right, giving back to the community, 
um, whether it was via right education, uh, programs where people got equal opportunities, mm-hmm. right, to mm-hmm. participate. Uh, those things were, were have always been really, really important uh, to me and to my family. That's the way I was raised. But, you know, as I got more and more successful in my career, um, we created a foundation called Taylor's House Foundation, and it was why she was still alive. Mm-hmm. Just And we funded it personally to, to give back to the things that she cared about, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, she was at the Humane Society every weekend, all weekend, as an example. Um, loved to go to the zoo. Loved to go to museums. Mm. Um, I think that's where a, a great deal of my individualization comes through is because everybody has a special talent. And finding that special talent, I think, is uh, important for the leader to find that talent. And sometimes it takes a little bit to, to, right, to, for people to open up. Right. And so, again, uh, Taylor's, uh, there's certainly a lot of challenges with raising a child with a disability, but there's so many blessings and benefits as well. So I think... Everything that our family has have has accomplished is because of some of those challenges. Wow! Tell me the name of the foundation one more time. It's called Taylor's House Foundation. Okay. T a e l o r s House Foundation. So you're on the board for that. Well, you're the. I'm the director of the that. Director I serve that. on the board of Morgan's Wonderland here in San Antonio, and awesome. um, we're building a park called a Fun for All Park with kids with disabilities in College Station. Wow! And the phase cool. one opens on May 31st. Awesome. So you have belief in your top 10. Of course. Yeah. I went to AM. I see that. <laughs> hey, that's what our listeners probably do. I don't know if I've ever revealed the fact that I am an Aggie. <laughs> <laughs> you and I are Aggies. Okay. Well, that's really cool. Mark, you know, um, I knew you had belief. I just could tell you had belief. I didn't know you confirmed it just now, but I could sense your belief because you're very purpose driven. Uh, you do some really big stuff too. Like you're the current chairperson of the Open Compute, right? Open yeah. Compute Academy. Okay, yeah, wait. they got a few few side jobs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. Let me just go <clears throat> say it correctly. So, because I don't even understand what this is, but it it's a big deal because it's worldwide. Okay, so. You're the current chairman and president of the Open Compute Foundation. Tell me what that means to the world. That's an open technology community, right, or forum that um, we drive innovation through collaboration. So no differently, no different than OpenStack at Rackspace, sure. OpenBMC, some open firmware, um, the Linux Foundation, etc. Um, I just believe that innovation happens faster when every everyone has access you're getting the theme here yeah totally right? and i'm bought in on that because i'm a former racker so yeah, totally that's right and i just think innovation happens faster creates more opportunities uh for people that don't necessarily have all the resources right that a big company might have mm-hmm. and i actually think um that our legacy in open compute and open stack etc will be you know change the world yeah quite frankly in in tech and i think um whether you like the innovation that you see today or not um, certainly, it's important that everyone has access to that. Oh, my gosh. Can I just t- tangent that for a moment? And f- I feel like that's happening with strengths. So when Gallup held strengths very close to the chest and you couldn't buy, you had to buy a book to buy a code, you know, it was kind of a clunky process. And through the last 10 years, it's become more accessible. And I sort of in my mind, because I'm trained to think of open source, at my Rackspace career, I it used to be my prayer that literally I've 
prayed about this, that strengths would fall into the hands of people who would go and create things upon it and that it would transform the world so we could all play to our strengths and focus on the things that we're best at rather than our deficiencies and the things that we're uh, weak at. And, and I see it coming to fruition because I see people writing books about strengths that, and they're not connected to Gallup. There's this podcast, Obey Your Strengths, is not connected to Gallup. There's just all these things where if this language is available in a much more accessible way and it's becoming, um, everyone's adding their own talent to it, right? That's right. You're Gallup hoping the world not quite be so polarized. Yes. Oh, that's great. Yes. Yeah, and, that's, and that's true. Everybody wins. Everybody in wins. In an environment like that. Yes. So you also had a very important role when you were the tech advisor for the Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation. Tell us, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't a major role, but we had a small group of technologists that right helped with things associated with the great work that that foundation is doing. What kind of stuff did y'all do? Well, stuff I probably can't. Talk oh, you to can't you talk about. about. Oh, well, can I? I'll go. I'll go Google it. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I'll Google it after today. <laughs> I have input and learner. You're, you're very familiar with NDAs, right? <laughs> oh yes, I'm very familiar with NDAs. <laughs> okay, yes, non-disclosure agreements <laughs> have to be signed. Awesome. Well, this has been so fun. It's so fun to get to know you in a new light. Thank you very much for coming here. Thank today. you, and thank for all you do for our yeah, team. And we'll see bet. you maybe next quarter. And. <laughs> We get to nerd out with us. <laughs> you know, I love spending time with engineers and with you, Mark Ridding. So thanks so much for being here today. Thank it's you. been fun. Obey Your Strengths is produced by Geekdom Media in association with Game Day Media Enterprises. Executive produced by Lorenzo Gomez, John Garcia, and Michael Largent. To learn more about Kathy Kirsten, visit her website, kathykirsten.com. That's K-A-T-H-Y-K-E-R-S-T-E-N.com.